welcome to Access Ideas, where we share insights and perspectives that spark curiosity, conversation, and inspiration. I'm Yana, and today I'm sharing my recent conversation with Molly Mandelberg. Molly is the founder of Wild Hearts Rise Up. She has an unusual combination of spiritual, visionary, and high-tech, practical business savvy. She is an artist, a globetrotter, a writer, a speaker, a facilitator, and a leader. Molly is also the host of the Tactical Magic Podcast, which I recently appeared on. The show has been running since 2018 and varies between showcasing different healing modalities, transformational leadership techniques, and business and marketing prowess for healers, coaches, and holistic practitioners. In today's conversation, Molly highlights her vision for Wild Hearts Rise Up and how she helps clients find their people and benefit from what she calls the magnetics of marketing. We also explore the challenges Molly faced in her journey as an entrepreneur and how overcoming those challenges enabled her to help others bridge the gap between where they are now and where they want to be. And with that, I bring you Molly Mandelberg. Welcome to Access Ideas, Molly. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. You are the founder of Wild Hearts Rise Up, and I'd love to hear more about your vision. Tell us about that. Yeah, so at Wild Hearts Rise Up, I work with mostly coaches and holistic practitioners, people who trade in wisdom and guidance, who are amazing at what they do and often changing lives and making real transformation happen for people, but often not great at talking about what they do or using technology or systems or strategies to grow their businesses and share their message on a broader scale. So I help them to craft their deep work into inspiring content and hot copy to tackle the technology necessary to grow that message into a global movement and also to tackle the inner game that shows up um, often limiting beliefs or just um, stuck points that can show up energetically so that they can reach more people and make a bigger difference with less time spent in the hustle and grind of running a business. That's awesome. You use the word magic and the term magnetics of marketing. Can you go into a little bit more detail there and explain what you mean? Yes, absolutely. So when I talk about magic, magic is really, I think, just the unseen energies at play, the things that are going on, maybe psychosomatically, or maybe sort of just things that are coalescing in the universe in this reality. And I believe we have the capacity to with intention, with attention, with action to um, alter the trajectory of our lives and of the world around us. And so magic is really that sort of unseen component of things coalescing and actualizing into the world. Um, When I talk about the magnetics of marketing, I found over eight years of working with coaches and holistic practitioners with talking to other business owners, and especially in my own business, that When we create something, when we go out and broadcast our message into the world, when we're sharing something new, all the pieces of the puzzle can be in place and still some things can just not take off or not get traction or not be engaged with. And the magnetics is really when we bring in, I believe, the energetic component to are we actually willing to receive those new clients or do we actually want anyone to see that thing we just launched into the world? And when we get those um, energetic components online or aligned, that those offerings and those efforts that we've done to create those things, they just get more traction. So when I talk about the magnetics of marketing, I'm talking about how can we line up energetically in such a way that our magnets turn on, that more people get drawn to us, and how can we use tools like copywriting or course creation or developing our suite of offerings as business owners to increase the likelihood that people will show up and desire it and say yes. And so there's magnetics, um, both strategically and also energetically, that come into play. Yeah, so it's an interesting way of describing how successful our efforts are at putting something out into the world. And does it attract this, this sort of client or attention or audience that we're looking for? Uh, one of the things you've spoken about, Molly, is helping clients find their niche or niche and helping them find an audience. And I know a lot of people are intimidated by that because the first instinct is often, 
I don't want to limit myself. I want to be open to everybody. I would love to hear you explain this because you did it so well in another podcast, and I want it on this podcast too. This is so this is so great the way that you uh, explain how first of all a niche is defined. Like you talk about three different segments, and then how you help clients think that through. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I hope that I say it as good as whoever you heard me say it before. (laughs) Um, So there's three. So first off, to address the I don't want to limit myself or I don't want to limit who can come in. I very much had that mindset when I started my business eight or so years ago when I started out, I was doing hypnotherapy and hypnotherapy can be used really for anything you want to change in your life. Anyone Mm -hmm. could use it to change anything in their lives. And so I was like, this is money in the bank. I can help anybody do anything. So everybody's going to want to show up and try this, right? And the truth is, when we leave our message, for lack of a better term, sort of watered down in that way, when we try to make it as widely desirable as possible— we're actually making it a little bit more confusing for people to find their way in. It actually makes it a little bit harder for somebody to say, oh, this is exactly for me. This is exactly what I've been looking for. So I um, went through about a year of trying to find my niche and a lot of emotional upheaval of changing my mind and trying to find something more aligned. And it can be really confronting to look at narrowing down who you're talking to Um, And so I just want to address that. If you're in the thick of that right now, I totally know what that's like. Um, We call those people sometimes niche switchers, um, (laughs) which there's nothing wrong with being a niche switcher. It's actually a really powerful thing to be doing so that you find the thing that really feels like magic, like beauty, like truth to you. But It can be an emotional process because we don't want people to think we're flaky and changing our mind or we don't want to limit who we're bringing in because we really want to serve as many people as possible. So what happens when we get a little bit clearer, when we decide, you know, I'm going to go in this direction, I'm going to sort of talk to this kind of person for right now, at least for right now, is it gives people the opportunity to hear it in a different way, to hear exactly the transformation or client success story or possibility that's available for them on their specific journey. So when I talk about, you know, hypnotherapy can can help anything from smoking cessation to, you know, unleashing your creativity, if I were to zero that in more specifically and say, hey, if you've been in the same relationship over and over and over again, and you just can't seem to break that pattern, hypnotherapy is an amazing way to sort of unpack what that programming is and potentially begin creating partnerships and relationships that are so much more supportive and connected and intimate that is beyond what you thought was maybe possible before. If somebody is out there having that pain point, that speaks directly to them. They're saying, oh my gosh, you see me. I wasn't willing to acknowledge it, but like, if I'm being honest, yeah, I've kind of dated the same person three times and what's up with that? Let me take a deeper look. So there's three main areas of focus. We call them mega niches, which I learned this from Jesse and Sharla, Jesse Corin and Sharla Jacobs of Thrive Academy, which I am a big fan of their work. It's the three main mega niches are money and finances, health and beauty, and relationships. And that could be relationship to other people. That could be relationship to your family, relationship to your colleagues, relationship to yourself. And as far as money goes, that could be just financial abundance. That could be actually asking for a raise. That could be career development. There's a lot of things that fall into that money niche. And I think all of us know the prolific industry of health and beauty because we see it everywhere. Um, Those three mega niches are basically the things that people will pay money for. They're the places where people feel emotionally held up or challenged enough that they will pay for a solution in that area. So this doesn't mean that, you know, you're doing this powerful healing work or you're in some industry that you need to then change your entire focus to make it about one of those things. But it's very likely that the work you're doing can be viewed through one of those three lenses. So if you're helping people overcome pain, you're in the health and beauty niche. And you can talk more about the health of the body with this sort of freedom to speak to that 
because you are in that category. And the more people hear that it's a problem, a health issue that you can help them solve or an aspiration you can help them reach, the more they're going to resonate and say, okay, yes, I want to take a leap and show up for this. I want to give it my, invest my time or my money into seeing how this can support me. So it's really important when we're looking at what our niche is or how we're defining our audience um, and who we want to speak to, that we at least touch on one of those three lenses and how our work fits into one of those three areas. It just makes it easier for people to say yes. And when we make it easier for people to say yes, once they come through that door, you get to do the whole scope of all the magic that you can do. You know, somebody comes in for a hypno session and they want to start with, you know, I want to drink less or I want to stop smoking. It's like, okay, yeah, we're going to go way deeper than that once we get in here. But I'll call the doorway that so that you can find your way in. And once you come in through that accessible doorway, we get to go as deep as we want to go together in all the realms of your life. So when you think about narrowing your niche, you're not actually narrowing much. You're, you're still able to do the full scope of the work that you want to do. And you can do it with a lot of different people, but you're making it just easier for people to see that sign and walk through that doorway. Mm-hmm. You're not trying to be vanilla ice cream. Like, no. <laughs> you're no. Trying, trying to reach a, a more specific audience. And I think this is intimidating on one hand because we think that limitation means less opportunity. But one of the ways that you've just outlined this is not the case is that when we can clarify what we're bringing into the world, whether it's a service or a product, we can speak more clearly to the type of client or audience that we want to reach. So for example, you mentioned somebody working on pain reduction in the health and beauty space, but I could see that same application or that same type of focus being very successful in the relationship space because we, we've all heard about pain in relationships. And I think this is so fundamental to what you're helping your clients work through. And this is what I find absolutely fascinating Do you think that your career as a hypnotherapist, your start as a hypnotherapist, gave you that ability to kind of see the multifaceted approach that people could take with what they have to offer and how they're filtering their message into the world? Uh, Yeah, indirectly and directly, I think, yes. Um, Starting with hypnotherapy in my business was really the beginning of a lot of deep healing for myself. It allowed me to sort of unpack a lot of my own limiting beliefs and reprogram a lot of my own sort of hesitation to choose a career or move in a direction with a lot of force or passion. And so a lot of my own healing happened because I started there. But it also allowed me to, yeah, master going deeper with people. And I think if you're going to hire somebody to help you with their business, with your business, they should be someone you feel safe to go deep with and ask the bigger questions because it's never just about the funnel or the marketing pieces. It's always about who you are and how you're showing up and whether you're willing to show up in those new and big ways. And I'll say going back to the niche switching conversation, oftentimes the people that you are really best designed to serve are some version of a past self of you. That doesn't mean they need to be the same gender or same demographic or any of that, but they're often challenged with or dealing with something that you've spent some time overcoming. And so I think those first couple of years of me figuring out what my path was and what direction I really wanted to go Every time I would switch my niche, I would build out all this content materials. I would build out a whole new course and funnel, and I would just sort of attack that new direction full force. And that gave me a dexterity and sort of a capacity with all of these tools that I now help people with every single day. And so it looked like maybe I was on, this is the third time I've brought this up in two days, so I have to make a video (laughs) about this, but it looks like you're being derailed. It, it can look like you're off track or that you're moving in a totally new direction. And, oh, my gosh, I, I'm lost because I don't know where that other path just went. And it's always a side quest. And if you know about, you know, a fantasy movie or a book, the side quest is where you build the strength or you get the new character or you gain something that allows you to make it to the finish line or the climax of that story. So every time you feel like you're being derailed, I invite you to look at it as the side quest that's actually shaping you into the person who's really ready for that path that you're on. 
it's always moving you towards that. Unless you completely quit and you decide, I'm not looking at this stuff ever again, I'm done. Unless that's the case, it's always building towards what you want to be moving towards, what you're desiring, what you're creating. And a lot of people will get stuck in this space of, I'll just wait till I'm clear. I'll just wait for clarity. And so we try to think our way to a clear path. And I'll say it's so much faster. It's maybe less comfortable, but it's so much faster to get clear when you're willing to take action. And I think that's one thing that I accidentally did a lot at the first few years of my business was I'm, I showed up fully to create and to try it until I knew for sure that that wasn't quite it. And then I tried the next thing. And showing up and taking action gives you so much feedback, so much information about how it feels for you, how it feels to be in conversation with that kind of people, how it feels to be broadcasting that kind of message or creating in that kind of sphere. And you don't get that information if you just wait and think until you're clear. Mm-hmm. I want to step back a moment when you talked about overcoming some challenging beliefs. Are you comfortable sharing what some of those beliefs were and what you had to overcome to get to where you are now? Absolutely. I had quite a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, I think most of our limiting beliefs are all really common. Everybody has, I mean, not everybody, but many people have limiting beliefs that fall into the same kinds of categories. Often there's one that's imposter syndrome. People are going to find out I'm a fraud. People are going to find out I don't actually know enough to be doing this. Um, that, that I don't know enough and people might find out I don't know enough was probably my strongest one back then because I had I didn't come from a background of, you know, an MBA and a big corporate marketing job. I came from being kind of a vagabond artist, hippie, and finding a knack for these tools and skills. And luckily that at my training on the ground in the field made me pretty good at using these tools and helping other people to learn how to use these tools. But because I didn't have that official background, I had a deep entrenched story that I shouldn't or I can't or people are going to find me out and I'll be ruined or embarrassed. Um, some other ones were, well, I don't know enough was definitely my biggest one. Um, I'm not good enough is a good, another one. It's sort of a different flavor of the same thing. Those stories were ingrained in me from a very young age. I grew up with a uh, pretty verbally abusive alcoholic stepfather for most of my young years. And those were kind of the two things that he laid into us a lot was you don't know as much as I do, so you don't know enough. And you're not worthy or valid because he would treat us poorly. And so that story of I'm not good enough anyway was in there. It was in there from a very young age and locked in there in many ways. And many iterations, you know, experiences in my life were confirming that in one way or another because I was walking through the world as if that was true. And so a lot of the healing I did early on in my business, which was also just a time in my life that I was really starting to look at stuff, was about recognizing that I have value inherently. Not only that, I'm a pretty amazing and wonderful person when I want to be. Yes. And and that, my goodness, I do know some stuff. And the truth is, you don't have to know everything to not be an imposter. You just have to know a little bit more than the people who need your help. They say you only have to be two steps ahead of someone to really make a difference for them. And sometimes it's really easier to help someone if you're only two steps ahead because it's easier to relate to them. If you're a thousand steps ahead of someone, you don't even remember what it was like to be there. It was so long ago. But if you're just a couple steps ahead, it's like, hey, I know what you're going through. I, yeah. I can still feel it sometimes if I tap into it. And here's a couple things you can do to start moving in this direction. So you don't have to know everything. And those stories in your head are almost always not true that are telling you you can't, you shouldn't, or you're better off if you don't. Yeah. And the things that say, you know, you're going to be embarrassed, there is that animal part of our brain that's trying to keep us safe, that's trying to keep us from making a fool of ourselves or from getting, you know, ostracized or cast out of society or whatever the big fear is, that that part of you, if you acknowledge it, if you make a relationship with it, it is really just trying to keep you safe. And you can have a conversation with it. It's often the inner child saying, but, but, but I'm not safe. It's like, no, actually, I'm, I'm an adult now and I've got you. And whatever happens, no matter what anyone says, I'm going to be right here with you. And we got this. 
So there's a lot to be said for doing some of that deeper shadow work, inner child work, um, healing stuff to just build more stamina, more like self-awareness to know that no matter what shows up, you're going to be okay. Even if it's a huge upset and, you know, everything goes wrong, some part of you is still going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Would you say that you had moments of transcendence of that belief where you realized in a concrete way that that wasn't true because you had a specific experience or insight and you thought, oh, that belief doesn't belong anymore? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a daily process and it's it's definitely there are moments where you get the opportunity to acknowledge that. But the truth is that part of your brain that's trying to keep you safe, it's a very logical, rational part of your mind, and it honors data. So if you can start compiling a list of moments that show you that you actually do know stuff or that you actually aren't a fraud or that you actually have things to share with the world, that data when compiled is hugely valuable when you have those moments of doubt or those um, sort of triggers or fears come up. For me, it started to be, yeah, letting the acknowledgement I was receiving from other people start to sink in and start to weigh more than my doubt in myself. I remember having uh, somebody I really admired who I thought was pretty dang good at the same things I was getting good at in business hire me to support them in their business. And on the little note she wrote, because it was signed up at a, a workshop where she filled out a form, she just said, I don't know if I can swear. She said, I know you know your shit. And I was like, <laughs> you know I know my shit? And I was like, oh, okay. Well, if you know that, then maybe I should know that. Or I was also in a mastermind group with a couple business besties. We had meetings like every week for years. And there was times where a time where I wanted to quit and I got on the phone and was like, hey, I think I'm thinking about getting a J-O-B. Like I can't cut this anymore. It was before things really started to take stride in my business. And they told me to wait a week. And I was like, okay, fine. Like I can wait on job hunting or whatever for a week. It ended up being the week that things started to turn around. I had a speaking gig that led to a couple of clients that led to a couple of packages. And it happened to be like this beautiful turning point in my life. But it was on that call that I was ready to quit that they were sharing with me what they saw in me. And it was like they could see the leader I was becoming. They could see the entrepreneur I was becoming before I had an awareness of that yet. Hmm. So I chose to believe in these people that I deeply trusted and admired that they could see something in me. Even if I couldn't quite see it yet, I trusted that maybe it was already there, that that was actually true. And so I'd highly, highly recommend having community with people who are on a similar trajectory as you, who are kind and compassionate creatures, um, who can witness you in what you're becoming, because sometimes you need somebody else holding that thread for you when you don't have it for yourself. And so I'm hugely, hugely grateful for those amazing women who are still my best friends in my life, that they saw it. They they saw it and they held it and they reflected it back to me when I needed it. And that was really helpful. You're the founder of the Magnetic Influencer Collective. I'd love to hear more about this. Yeah. So because that kind of connection is has been so transformational for me in my life, one of my favorite things to do in my business is create spaces for that kind of connection to happen. And the greatest place I've created for that is called Magnetic Influencer Collective, which we abbreviate to be called Magic. And the people in it are magicians. But it's a community space where it's mostly it's been female-oriented people, women, um, who are growing a business and who have a big desire to make it bigger, to grow their message, to build their marketing, to make it easier to do it. And so I created Magnetic Influencer Collective, which is a hybrid between a group program. So we have 12 group calls and then 12 co-working calls and home study course material. So there's a multiple bonus courses that you get with lots of templates and exercises you can do anything from how to hire a virtual assistant and train and onboard and manage them to um, how to create launch and deliver your next course or program how to set up your email and master the marketing through your email platform 
and one about quiz making. So there's lots of course materials. And then it's also got a one-on-one package. So people can come into this group space and we get all juiced up. The calls are really a hybrid between doing the deep inner work and guided visualizations and meditations and asking deep questions of ourselves. And then also doing strategic marketing stuff like creating social media posts or writing emails to our lists or developing what our next offering is going to be. And then the one-on-one calls are really more zeroed in on each individual person's business because I know you get a group of people together, we're all going to be in different stages of our businesses. And so I want to make sure that people have that individualized time and attention for their specific challenges or their specific desires to get addressed for their business. So it's a really beautiful space. And yeah, my favorite part about it is watching the way that people support each other. We have a WhatsApp thread going where we're in conversation all the time. And when I'm busy or off grid or something and I chime back in and I see somebody had a need or somebody was feeling down or somebody was, you know, having a health issue or something and everybody was just supporting them already, I didn't have to do that they were doing that for each other. And to get to hold space where that gets to happen is really one of the best things in my life. More magic. More magic, yeah. So if someone were interested in joining the group, how should they reach out to you to contact you? And and, uh, are you taking new joiners? Yeah, I'm not sure when this episode is going to go out. Um, We started a new round of magic yesterday, July 25th. Um, So the next round of magic won't start until January, but you can absolutely reach out to me and uh, let me know that you're interested or want to know about the next round starting. The website about magic is wildheartsriseup.com slash magic. And there's a button at the very bottom where you can book a call to talk to me about it if you want to know more or have any questions. Oh, this is great. So you are known for creating hot content. And I think that's such a great word description. Can you tell me more about that? I have a feeling I I have a sense of what it is, but I want to hear your description. Yeah, hot content is content that is compelling and engaging and people want to read it or digest it. So when we talk about making hot content, it's like making something that people are eager to engage with and want to follow up on or want to forward it to a friend rather than just like, hmm, that was cool. Interesting. Moving on. (laughs) And I want to specify, this is not just one format. You're on social media. You you do podcasts and you have two podcasts. You have written content, website content. Yeah, I hit way too many boxes. I am very much a maker of things and I love to create. So I don't necessarily recommend or encourage people to hit as many platforms or mediums as I do. But yeah, I'm on all the social media platforms. I have two podcasts. I have two books published. I have a blog. I'm, yeah, I'm putting out on YouTube. I have a all the different channels kind of covered, which is probably way too much. But yeah, I think the important thing for someone who's starting out or someone who's wanting to ramp up, pick a platform that feels good for you. Ideally, pick a platform you're already hanging out on and enjoying digesting content on and start there. Master one place. And if you're creating something longer form, if it's video or audio or written, you can repurpose it onto other platforms very easily. You can sort of chop it up and reformat it in such a way that you can reuse it on many other places. So I'm a really big fan of that batching, repurposing, and making short form things out of long form things because it just is easier. I mean, you say it as it's as though it's obvious, but honestly, I don't think a lot of people grasp how well you do this because this is something you've almost made an art of where you're taking content and maybe even years later, you're still finding ways to use it in a fresh, relevant way. You've talked a little bit before about creating emails and and maybe you hadn't revisited that content in a while, but it's still reaching someone. It's still touching somebody. It's making an impact. How do you approach content creation in such a way that it's more likely to stay evergreen and fresh? Yeah, well, first off, it's evergreen as long as you don't mention a date or a holiday or when you're making it. And that takes, I think, a little bit of time to get in the habit of like 
Don't mention what day it is or what month it is because then it makes it more evergreen. The the biggest way, the best way that I do this, that's it's constantly being repurposed is through something called a nurture sequence, which I call a tip sequence. But basically any which way, I have a lot of different offerings, lots of free stuff available on my website. Any way that you come in to my email list, you're going to get emails about that thing that you just opted into. Once you do for a couple days or a week or so, you end up dripping into what I call a nurture sequence, which is a series of many, many emails that go out every other week or every week, depending on where you're at in it. And those are emails that I started writing four or five, maybe six years ago. And I go back in and check in periodically, but I wrote them in such a way that the message in them is still relevant. The message in them is still inspiring. And because I didn't mention when I wrote it, it doesn't matter when you drop into the top of that sequence. And as a writer, as a maker of things, to know that that beautiful email I wrote is always getting sent out still is so satisfying. Mm -hmm. Those people who make this amazing, beautiful newsletter and they send it out for July and then it's done and it never gets seen again and you made all that beautiful <laughs> effort and it's just gone once done. Whoever's on your email list that day got it, but nobody else gets to see it. Um, it's a little bit heartbreaking for the creator in me. It's like, there's some good stuff in there. What if we just kept using it, made it in a different format so that it could keep, keep being reused? Um, yeah, so that's the best way that I do that. But my recommendation is if you're making something, the hardest part about creating content or about getting something like that made, the hardest part is getting your butt in the seat to do it. Mm-hmm. If you get your butt in the seat and start doing it, stay seated for as long as possible. If you're sitting down to write a social media post, see if you can write two or three or four. If you're sitting down to write an email, see if you can just stay seated and keep writing, like get another coffee at the coffee shop. I don't actually drink caffeine, but you know, do you. Stay there as long as you can because the easy part is staying seated. The hard part is getting yourself there to do it. Yeah, just getting started. Yeah. You're the author of a best-selling book that you just mentioned. Uh, it's called Wild Hearts Rise Up, The Wild Woman's Roadmap to Conscious Leadership from Inspiration to Actualization. And that was just published last year. I'd love to hear a little more about that book and what you hope readers can learn from it. Yeah, we're actually talking about a lot of the same topics kind of that I cover in that book. I went through a lot of learning lessons through hard moments in my life and... I became kind of a pro at finding the golden thread of that lesson, sometimes years later, sometimes in the moment, but I thought it might be valuable, which I think it has been really helpful for some people who've read it, to share some of that story, to share the practice I've made out of, you know, there's a shit storm in your life, what's the lesson, or what's, what's there for you to gain from it, and a lot of those stories of how I went from really not believing in myself, really having a lot of toxic and unhealthy habits and patterns in my life to now being someone who's willing to show up in the world and just be me and actually kind of believe that I'm okay. I'm, I'm a good person. I, I can help people. That that was a big journey for me. And so I sort of wrote that into the book. Um, and some of my business breakthroughs of how I went from not having to having to not making money to able to make money, not feeling like I had anything to share with the world to really standing in more of a leadership position in many ways in my life. So yeah, it's kind of a memoir, kind of self-help, but pretty inspiring and definitely a different story than you'll generally read in a memoir, I think. And I think part of your story that's quite distinct is your nomadic life. Uh, you've lived a nomadic life for some time. Is it eight years now? I've been nomadic for 15 years. Wow, impressive. Yeah. And this was part of your identity. This is not just sort of, oh, I like to travel and I don't want to settle down. It's like you deliberately decided to live this way. What drew you to that? And what do you think makes it part of your identity? Yeah, I'm going to say it's not part of my identity just okay. because I don't want to 
pigeonhole myself into not being able to change who I am. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. It is a very large part of who I am most of the time. Yes. Um, I finished college in 2008 and I didn't want a dead end job. All I knew was I didn't want to end up um, in a cubicle or doing something that I wasn't passionate about. And I did know because I had grown up fortunate enough to get to travel a fair amount in my youth. I knew I wanted to see more of the world. I knew I wanted to be out traveling and meeting people and thought I would find my path that way. And so I spent many years sort of avoiding responsibility, avoiding a path in my life and just going and learning and kind of working dead-end jobs to make money, to make ends meet, to get on the road again. There were a couple times where I had a home base. There was one time I stayed put in a city for five whole months without a road trip or a flight. Um, that was the longest I stayed put anywhere. But for the most part, I have been, yeah, a few months here, a few months there, or traveling the last five years, five and a half years, I've been in a Sprinter van that I turned into a tiny home, which I'm sure many people are familiar with van life now. When I started it, it wasn't quite as common. But when my business started to take off, it was like, okay, you can choose where you want to live now. And the deeper part of me was like, I still don't want to pick a place. <laughs> I don't like the weather in the north in the winter, and it's too hot in the south in the summer. And I have people that I really love and want to be in their lives all over the country. So at first I started looking at RV life and I test drove one and it didn't feel right. And so then I looked into van life and made that happen. But yeah, I would say it wasn't a big shift for me because I didn't go from being a really stationary person to like, oh, I'm going to be a nomad now. It was kind of just who I've been a lot for most of my life now. Hmm. No, not most, but some. A significant number yeah. of years. Um, were there any surprising lessons or maybe lessons that others might find surprising about that life that you'd want to share or highlight? I mean, I think that the way social media portrays van life and being a nomad nowadays is kind of, it looks like a really great escape. That it looks like, oh, I could just get away from my problems, hop in a van and go live in beautiful places or be a you know, digital nomad who stays in five-star hotels all over the world. Like, yeah, that is possible. But the truth is that wherever you go, there you are. So if you think you're going to get away from whatever's going on internally by escaping your current reality, it doesn't always work out that way. Changing your scenery, changing the environment or the setting of your life can absolutely shake things up and bring you to a new state of being 100%. That's one of the things that got me hooked on it for sure. But if you think it's going to keep you from having to face some of those internal patterns or stories that that are really relevant for you, it's probably just going to exacerbate them until you have to face them. So just know that if you're treating it as an escape, you might actually have to look at some of those things when you're out alone in the desert in a van. Well, I really appreciate how you always bring together the practical um, with the unexpected or the spiritual or the mystical. I think this is one of the unique elements of what you do. And it's it's not something that I've seen often. If you were to try to explain it simply, where does heart-centered healing and transformation intersect with practical business strategy? What does that look like? Yeah, I mean... If we're willing to acknowledge that every action we take in life has an energetic or emotional uh, component to it, then I would say it intersects all the time. When you're going to, if say you're in a job and you want to go ask your boss for a raise, all that stuff that comes up for you about whether you should or you shouldn't, that's the heart part that's the part that energetically needs to be addressed for you to be willing to walk into that office and have that conversation. And so for me, those two are completely intertwined. And I think that's why I have sort of a special niche in this market is that a lot of people are teaching business without addressing that transformational inner work component. And when their clients aren't getting results, they're blaming it on how 
you know, how hard you didn't hustle or how mm. much you didn't grind into their system. And I think regardless of the tactic or strategy or um, endeavor, anyone out there is looking at approaching, bringing your whole self to it or aligning yourself energetically so that you're even willing to walk toward it is a really important part of it. It's a, it's a vital part of it if you want to actually make that journey. Mm-hmm. So for me, they're in, entirely intertwined. And that's why almost every call I do has both going on. And I see a lot of sort of standard business advice thrown out that doesn't address this at all. And I wonder if many people are even capable of being aware of this. So they may not even be able to admit to themselves, you know, I'm really scared of being rejected or I'm scared of expressing my creative ideas um, and, and being shot down. So it's easier in some ways to say, well, the world's just not ready for me or, you know, all the excuses that people can come up with. How do you, what sort of questions do you ask clients to help walk them through that? Because I'm willing to bet anyone you want to work with is probably open to those questions at least. Usually they get on the phone with me because they're turned on by those kinds of questions. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I will say, I think it's Richard Bach, um, who's one of my favorite authors, who has a quote that says, argue for your limitations and sure enough, they're yours. So if you want to keep convincing yourself that the world's not ready for me or I'm way better off not doing that, then great. Have it. Have that if you want to have that. It's the people who are like torn up about how big their drive is, their dream is, their passion for changing the freaking world is, that once that dream or that desire becomes greater than your fear, you'll do whatever the hell it takes. And it's that I'm down to do whatever the hell it takes now. I'll look at my stuff. I'll take the action that those are the people that I really want to work with because not only do you know that your work changes lives, but you're willing to show the heck up for it now, no matter what that looks like. And have you seen a pattern in the people who are ready for that? Are they typically people who've gone through a really extreme experience or maybe their sense of inertia finally just drove them up the wall? Like what what are some of the common elements that can help somebody get to a place where they're willing to take a risk and and do something that's totally out of their comfort zone? Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's I'm so done working for someone else that I'm willing to make this hobby into my main gig now that I'm finally ready to like push the needle on that. Um, sometimes it's, you know, a life circumstance of my husband passed away or retired and now I have this need to make an income and this is the thing I want to be doing. So what do we need to do to make it happen? Most of the time, it's just that desire to help people. Most of the clients that I work with just really want to use the tools they've mastered to change lives. And they're done being in their own way about that, whether that's a aversion to technology or whether that's a I need somebody to show me what to do next. If you were to speak to somebody who was curious about starting their own business, and maybe they've been toying with it in their head, but they haven't actually talked about it out loud or shared with anybody, what are some questions somebody could ask themselves to get clarity on that for themselves? Yeah, I mean, what are you hoping to get out of it? Is it really something you're doing for the money, or is there a deep drive in you to bring this to the world? And I would say stop keeping it a secret. So on two hand, two sides of this. One, it's good not to share a budding idea with someone who will squash it before it actually has a chance to grow legs or be born. So be cautious who you share your big dream with, who you bring into this fold of what your vision is for the future. But once you've sort of landed on, hey, I'm doing this now, Be willing to talk about it. See what kind of conversations come. You might actually come across more people who want to help make it happen or more people who are looking for that thing that you're bringing to the world. So as soon as it does have legs or is starting to get born, go out there and share it with the world and do whatever you need to do to get over the fear of doing that. Get support if required. But to a lot of people I see master this skill or whatever, and then they tell no one about it. And they wonder why they don't have clients or why they can't make ends meet. And it's like, well, 
how are you sharing it? How are you bringing it forward? And what would it take to exponentialize that? What is it that's holding people back typically? I mean, there's probably a few things, but what are, is it, you've already brought this up a little bit, but fear of rejection, fear of being seen as an imposter, fear of, fear of being seen as not having the right credentials, maybe. Fear of being seen as pushy or salesy, fear of being called greedy or just in it for the money, fear of literally just not knowing what to say about it, uh, not knowing where to say something about it, not knowing what to price it or how to price it, or really being afraid of having a conversation about money at all. Um, those are generally the, the main things that people are coming up with. For those who don't plan on starting a business anytime soon, but they're listening today, what advice might you have for expanding productivity by mastering your energy better? Oh, yeah. Take downtime. Yes. Yes. So there's a really important part of the creative cycle that this reality does not honor or acknowledge, which we call Shiva in my house. And Shiva is the chaos and destructive nothingness. It's the vegetative state. And the truth is we cannot get to the lightning strike of creativity called Brahma without going through some amount of Shiva. So if you've ever noticed this, you go on a vacation finally, and you book all these excursions, and you're going to go boogie boarding, and you get on vacation, and suddenly you get sick. And it's like, oh no, I was going from hustle and grind straight into a hustle and grind my vacation. And my body was like, actually, no, you're taking a break <laughs> right now. That happens because we weren't allowing space and time for the Shiva. So that can look like meditate for five minutes in the morning. That can look like go for a longer walk than you usually do. Build in some blank space because that is where new ideas come from. That is where creativity can re-spark from. It's when we're going and going and going and never taking that pause that we run out of steam or we run out of juice or we run out of new ideas. So if you want more inspiration, it sounds unproductive to be unproductive, but it actually allows you to produce so much more when you build in that blank space. I always like the idea that when you go on vacation, you should get bored enough that you miss work. You, you, you actually yeah. start craving it. Well, yeah. yeah, if you do that, you come back with such new life force to the table. Yes, yes. What are some of your favorite ways to regenerate and, and recharge? Yeah, I mean, daily basis, um, I write before I get out of bed. And that's like me getting my mindset on for the day, asking big questions and pre-shifting, as they would call it in the restaurant industry. I pre-shift myself before I get out of bed. I walk my dog so I get some sunshine and dopamine in my eyeballs and my body at the very beginning of the day. And then I meditate for sometimes five minutes, sometimes 20, 45 minutes. But even if it's just five minutes, like this morning, I had a really early start. So I only I had seven minutes to meditate. And still, my life is so much better with seven minutes than without it. I'm just a different person. And I've learned this over years of not being in the practice and getting back to the practice that it's night and day by the end of the day, how I feel as a human, whether I have that seven to 10 minutes or not. So I really try to commit to that. Um, those three main things, I also write at the end of the day before I put my head on the pillow. The last thing I do is write gratitude lists, debriefing myself from the day, asking for what I'm summoning from the universe, doing a little bit of magic. Those are the main daily practices and rituals. And also building in time for my body, building in time for uh, that blank space. Like I said, there are certain times of year where I really go radio silent and I schedule out content so that maybe my business audience doesn't know I'm gone. Well, only the clients who are working with me regularly know I'm gone, but there are are at least two, if not three times every single year where I take a week, sometimes two weeks, completely off-grid, where I'm not focusing on, sometimes I'm still making projects or writing books, but for the most part, I'm not in grind mode. And that allows me to really reset and come back with new ideas. Speaking of new ideas, what are you excited to try next or explore? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, there's a lot of... Uh, 
project management organizational work that's been happening in the background, not related to Wild Hearts Rise Up this past few months. So I've been kind of at capacity as far as creating new projects and adding more to my plate. But the big exciting thing that I'm looking at next is buying land and building a retreat center. And I've been building out a business plan for how to make that happen. So I'm actually talking to a few friends who already have the land and I'm going to help work with them to hopefully build some event spaces, community spaces, and entrepreneurial endeavors that are more land and space and community focused right now, which seems like maybe it's off, not off brand necessarily, but off base from what I usually do, which is all online and marketing and technology. But for me, it's very much in alignment of how can we create these spaces so that magic can occur between different people and so that transformation can happen in a live setting, not just in an online setting. So I'm really excited about how these sort of tester projects can come about and how hopefully the piece of land that I'm calling in can show up for me. Well, I think that makes a lot of sense because you've talked a lot about the unique energy that a group can bring and create with their interactions. And you've talked a lot about the group support, and I think that's going to be amplified in an event space. That sounds incredible. I'm excited to learn more about it. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Well, it's been fantastic having you here today. Is there anything I didn't ask you that you wanted to share or a shout out for anything else you want to promote? Yeah. The one most exciting thing I created this year, like I said, I make probably too many projects. Um, The one that I finished this year that I'd really love to let people know about, if anything I said resonated with you, or if you're thinking, you know, I might want to see what Molly has to offer. I launched an app this year called Wild Hearts Rise Up, and you can find it on whatever app platform. It's free for the first month if you want to just check it out. It has guided meditations. It has some money mindset work in there. There's tons of business resources and templates and things to utilize. So if you had a good time for this conversation and you want to check out some of those offerings, the Wild Hearts Rise Up app is a really great place to start. Awesome. We'll link to that in the show notes. Thanks again, Molly. It was great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you love Access Ideas, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and review us on Podchaser via the link in our show notes or wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. Tell your friends about the podcast, too. Until next time, thanks for listening to Access Ideas. Thank you.